Raging Asian. Raging Asian. Acha Hong Hong Nijin. Sunye the Yajo. Nagang Ali Tashano. Asia Ukra. Mangamuk Asia. Arekuru Asiajin. Songnan Asia. Raging Asian. Hey, Raging Asians. This is episode 10 of the Community Youth Series. And this week is our last episode of the season. And um, so most of you know I'm now based uh, in Toronto, as it's known to settlers, or Tsitkorundo uh, in Ganyankeha. Um, and this land is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Mississauga of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, and the Wendat peoples. And um, currently now there's many indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island who are here, uh, as well as Métis and Inuit peoples. So as a recent uh, new settler of mixed heritage, um, now here working on this podcast on this land, I want to acknowledge the history and the experiences of the people who have come before us and those who continue to share this land, who we continue to share this land with as uninvited guests. Yeah. Okay, 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 yeah. Yay, we have uh, Caitlin and Rosaline here for our episode 10, our kind of um, closing of the first season of uh, Raging Asian Podcast. Um, and this this episode is a pretty special one because I wanted to close with um, some students and friends from the East Asian class uh, Unsettling Migration that we all took together uh, with Monica Batak, our, our teacher and uh, prof. Um, yeah, so that class was where the podcast all started and I felt like it would be a fun way to kind of close the first season by um, inviting some guests who were in that class and and kind of get the chance to like um, catch up and check in ever since that class happened it was such a special um, a special time and moment too during during the pandemic um, and so much has happened too so yeah welcome Rosaline welcome Caitlin um, Maybe, yeah, you guys can introduce yourselves. Um. Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Rosaline. Um, I just graduated from McGill in International Development Studies. And um, this summer I've just been working from home and I'm about to start a master's program in public and international affairs at AutoU this fall. And I'm really excited to be here. So thanks, Chloe, for organizing this. Yeah. And yeah, you're in Ottawa now. Cool. Yes. So everyone's like all over Canada, tuning in all across Turtle Island. And Caitlin, how about you? Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Caitlin. I'm currently located in Vancouver. I also went to McGill with Rosaline and Chloe. Um, so I also got a bachelor's degree in international development and urban systems. Um, and just recently, I started a, a marketing job, actually, in digital marketing at an engineering firm. Wow. Um, I did spend the past three months uh, in Germany uh, with my partner. So uh, very, like, new chapter of my life beginning mm-hmm. after McGill. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that you were in Germany. That's so exciting. Okay. We'll definitely circle back to that. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and congrats on your new job. That's oh, thank cool. you. Yeah. So did you guys know each other in international development, like in, initially or? We we're did. Best friends. <laughs> oh, I love it. Best friends. <laughs> but did we guys... did meet at McGill. We met okay. at McGill in a history class, actually. Oh, cool. Cool. What history class? Ancient Mediterranean history, his 205. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and then it was just natural bonding um, a lot of chemistry the, yeah yeah <laughs> it's like a romantic relationship yeah. like the Basically. exact same process yeah oh. I mean it's hard to find those people though at McGill like just that you naturally get along with 
um, because there's just so many students, right? And um, it's hard to, it's also easy to kind of feel isolated too. Mm -hmm. If you don't, like if you don't try to meet people, you most likely will not meet a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And then if you're like on the Shire side or, you know, uh, the classroom and especially those like huge auditoriums can be just intimidating. Like, you know, you never sit in the same place. You never see the same faces. You don't know who's in your program. Like none of that, right? Yeah, you get a lot of um, option paralysis because there's just so many people that you can hang out with and they're all yeah. like- they're from Paris or Hong Kong or yeah. Brazil or wherever and they're just such interesting people too mm-hmm. which is yeah great like there's that positive side you're meeting people from all over the world but then on the flip side like you might not see them next class it's just like mm-hmm. it's hard to get really close with anyone but mm-hmm. um it's amazing that you guys are still like best friends close friends <laughs> now yeah from your first year and um I think that's why maybe like East 3032 was like such a special experience because it felt like you could connect closely with people. Um, so yeah, this this course we took in the fall, right? Fall of 20, yes. 2020. 2020, oh my goodness, yeah. So yeah, the semester after like the, the first lockdown, um, yeah. Uh, classes were all online and um, it, it was tough you know it was tough for a, a lot of people and also like all the anti-Asian racism and and like the moment just felt like everything was so like compounding on one another and um, but then just like that class was almost like a like a you know, a safe space, but also a creative space, uh, such a like kind of escape from all the like craziness going on, but escape maybe is not the right word. Like, you know, we, we talked, it was like a space to talk about all of these things. Um, It was definitely like a big joy luck club is how I would, uh, is how I try to describe it. That's so true. That's a great way. It felt more like a club than a class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I you know still to this day I'm trying you know I try to like understand how that or why that class was so special was it the people in the class like the community was it the way Monica like organized it you know I don't know so I, I I'd love to hear what you guys what your thoughts were yeah I think first and foremost it was Monica at the forefront mm-hmm. um she really did try her best um, to not only be extremely accommodating during COVID, but mm-hmm. also just really inclusive. And I was initially drawn to her class after Caitlin showed me the syllabus because mm-hmm. the syllabus was so different. I've never seen a syllabus like that at a university level. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of creative assignments I yeah. would describe it as, and yeah. that really excited me. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that she is what makes East 303 uh, really unique and inviting mm-hmm. and because she exudes that other people in the class they also want to share and kind of feed off of her energy as well mm-hmm. yeah totally like it her energy just invited people to like want to participate and want to like engage in a in a different way that's not just like you know raising your hand participating but like really like engaging deeply or yeah yeah, I would agree with that too. Monica was definitely at the forefront of it. It was also probably due to like a multitude of different factors. Like it was in the peak of COVID, the class size was that perfect sweet spot of 30. And mm-hmm. I mean, considering time zones, probably about 16 people actually showed up, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I think is a really good number for a, for a decent conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, it was just so interdisciplinary. Like I think East 03 or the East Asian department at McGill is is pretty small, it's pretty intimate, I think. Um, so the people who usually take the classes there are either um, doing a minor or in the program or just people who are very interested in, in it itself, itself and they take it as an elective. So it was a really diverse background of people who actually took the mm-hmm. classes. Yeah, and I didn't like, I was new to taking East Asian classes. I don't know if you guys have taken other East Asian courses. Um, We've taken a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, cool, no. Um, 
yeah, because I had like, I don't know if you guys had this similar experience. Like basically um, in, in anthropology, there's like mostly predominantly white students. So I really didn't um, have classes with like diverse, not only diverse like Asian people and, and communities, but like just people of color in general. Um, and uh, Unique's place too that I felt like we could talk and share experiences about being Asian or, you know, not, not everyone was Asian in the class, but it was still like, yeah, I don't know. It was different. And um, inclusive, I think. Yeah. All that. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Monica did a great way of like kind of stepping back really and allowing us to get to know one another and feel comfortable to share and share opinions and express ourselves yeah. and I think it was almost perfect that it was virtual because I'm just imagining what it would have been like in person would we all have, like sat in a circle or something you know <laughs> and I feel like in person people are also less likely to speak up mm -hmm. um only because of like the environment but uh I find that online it's kind of easier to just like unmute yourself and like jump in um yeah. without totally. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. adding adding onto that is that it helped that kind of it was in the middle of the pandemic so the people who did show up are people who wanted to be social and they're just willing to discuss <laughs> first content like they're just so eager to show mm -hmm. up and be like hey today's reading about Wayne Yang like I'm so excited to talk about it yeah yeah no totally um yeah I was like excited by the material and then excited to come to class to like talk to other people and other students to see what their thoughts were or sometimes even if I hadn't done the reading you know like uh, the the class was framed in a way that it was okay like you know you could you could participate in discussion but you could also kind of sit back and listen to the discussion and then join in at some points um yeah it was very topical yeah 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 I think my perspective I I think it worked at its maximum capacity being online just thinking about, so usually in a class, there's like maybe 30 people, probably like 16 of them actually show up very consistently. Mm -hmm. And then among those 16, there's like a concentrated percent of people who are really into it and who are actually willing to devote their time into looking at everybody's project mm -hmm. or um, looking a bit deeper and reflecting on the topics that we're discussing. Mm -hmm. um, and what was really cool was that our projects were very, very digital friendly. So like the zine yeah. or the final projects or obviously the discussion posts, which have a lot of pros and cons, but mm -hmm. I would say what's nice about the discussion post is that you kind of get to read everybody's um, little little two cents worth um, and you can take however long or short as you want. So you actually have access to everybody's like little mindset. And on top of that, you can reply to it. Um, and obviously I think the zine was really helpful too, just cause I mean, my zine, <laughs> um, not to brag or anything. No, yours was zine, so fun, yeah. <laughs> It featured like a lot of music artists um, and try to make it as interactive as possible so that it was more of an experience as opposed to just, you know, a piece of, you know, media to look at and like another thing to add to your um, digital history. But I think that really helped because in person, like no one's going to listen to however long of a playlist that I make or mm -hmm. no one's going to click these things that you just don't really do in the middle of an in-person class that you would actually do in your free time or right. Or yeah. The yeah, just having that time and space to like go to those things when you had the time to and like when you wanted to, you to actually, you know, look through people's discussion posts, but also engage with it and, and the zines too, to actually like listen to it and like listen to your playlists and interact with the zine online was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I think that having us create kind of zines um, and uh, as our final project was really uh, interesting to see because she, Monica gave us so much uh, freedom over what we could um, create with our zines and reading other people's um, zines because we hadn't met anybody in person, right? So mm -hmm. um, you can kind of tell, um, I liked how you can uh, kind of find out a little bit of people, some people's like backgrounds which is like their thought mm -hmm. process the other zines because most um, of everyone's projects were a little personal which I really liked yeah you get like a little insight into who they are or like also mm -hmm. their creative or aesthetic touches um, 
Yeah. I remember looking at yours, Caitlin, and being like, oh my God, so aesthetic, so design, like so cool. Like I wish I knew I had the skills to do this kind of stuff, you know? Um, Making me blush. I mean, that's why now I'm working in digital marketing. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So you should fun. include that in your portfolio. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. I remember Monica asked me if she could share it. And I was like, this is, I feel a little embarrassed sharing it because I, I I just made it in the, I remember Rosalind and I were actually on a phone call at the same time we were working on the scene. I think like not too long before it was due. And we're just like, what are we supposed to put included in a zine? And we're constantly researching what exactly is a zine? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what was great is that um, we were kind of, working together but on our separate zines mm -hmm. and she was full-on like hand-drawing Mulan and I was looking for clip art you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. the intention of the zines um isn't all just about aesthetics and that's what kind of Monica was like really pushing for sure. um yeah. and she really just wanted um us to like uh, create meaningful like projects and which I really mm -hmm. appreciate <laughs> yeah and so I want to hear about your podcast and like that experience too. That was for the, the like. That was for uh, like note-taking, I think, creative note-taking. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rosalie, do you, want to start, do you want to start off with how our podcast? <laughs> so yeah, um, one of Monica's projects uh, was to do kind of creative note-taking for a class. Mm -hmm. uh, we decided to uh, do a podcast on one week. Uh, kind of talking about, um, I think, two, either one or two readings. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we just decided to just kind of talk about our thoughts on um, the reading. And we also kind of threw in some little <laughs> tangents on Hollywood and the Grammys, I think, in there. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was just, okay. it was fun. Like, I think so, Kayla. <laughs> I think we talked a lot about, so the podcast actually kind of inspired um, what was my final project in the end. It, we talked a lot about East Asian representation in, in the media, which I feel like right now in, what is it, in, in August of 2021 is just such an overused buzzword at this point, <laughs> because it's like Mulan, then um, Kim's Convenience, then mm -hmm. um, Crazy Rich Asians. And it's yeah. just, there's too much of this buzzword now, but right. we talked about it and we're talking about how... Um, I'm laughing thinking about it, Rosalie. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, how I asked her, uh, you know, who was the first Asian person you saw on TV? And I thought <laughs> she was going to say something like, like, you know, more sophisticated. But she said, London Tipton from The Sweet Life of Zachary <laughs> Cody. And I was right. like, oh, yeah, she's Asian. I, but, I, but in my head, right, you kind of, like, you kind of erase right. that she's Asian because yeah. you don't really talk about it. I that choice right. because um, Asian representation in the media is is always full of stereotypes, right? Like mm. super smart mm -hmm. um, Asian, but London Tipton was the dumb rich one. <laughs> yeah. If anything, she was like very kind of like almost whitewashed or like, like yeah. Caitlin, like you were said, like you wouldn't have thought that she was Asian, but like she's visibly Asian, but just like all the, like she's yeah. not the stereotypical Asian. They don't mention her heritage until like the, the Sweet Life on Deck, like the spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that's so crazy. Like, it's so true. The, you know, representation was so limited for, um, and now like it's so East much Asian better, Asian. which is so great to see. I was in chapters yeah. the other day and I haven't been to a bookstore in so long. And mm -hmm. at the forefront of all like YA novels, there were so many Asian led, like main mm -hmm. characters and like on the cover of so many novels. And I was so happy because when I was a teen or in middle school, like I, like YA novels were like my religion. Uh, I read almost every <laughs> YA novel and I wish I had those when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that younger Asian people um, can enjoy. Yeah. I don't think I had read so many like um, texts written by Asian academics, Asian like writers, novelists, um, that, like in such a short amount of period, you know, like I, I was like taking notes about like, okay, gotta, I should like pick this book up, like, you know, this one. And so like, I just have such a running list now of like Asian authors and Asian scholars whose like work I'd love to, to read because that was just like not part of my like undergrad experience, like, or high school experience or CGEP either. Um, 
yeah, you know, like I just didn't have that Asian representation. Like I went to predominantly like white schools, really. Um, I don't know about you guys. Did you guys get a little more Asian content <laughs> in, in schools? I think definitely not to the same extent as we did in East 303. I don't even think, I think the only Asian professors I've had are like when I started going to McGill. I think, I don't mm-hmm. think I've had any Asian teachers growing up. Um, and even then at McGill, like most of my Asian professors were like my math professors. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're mm-hmm. reading anything. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that I completely relate. Um, full disclaimer <laughs> to great. the audience. Um, so I come from a very Asian household. I live with mm. my grandparents. It's a very filial household too. Um, I, I should also explain my background. Uh, my mom is Chinese and then my father is Malaysian. Um, so I can speak of kind of both Cantonese and uh, Mandarin, obviously English too. Um, but living in East Vancouver, it's it's basically like living in, in Hong Kong, I think. <laughs> Um, so I think going to McGill was more of a culture shock to me because usually when I think people from around the world go to McGill and I'll be very frank, they look at the makeup of students and they, they think, wow, there's a lot of Asians at this school. But for me, I went to McGill and I thought, wow, there's a lot of white people at this school. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't exactly relate to not having representation in, in the sense of, um, I guess like having teachers and people to look up to, but I think. I didn't really have that representation of seeing successful artists who are Asian and seeing people who were talking about things that are kind of outside the, I'm going to use an East, an East Three term, outside the Bobo liberal like paradigm, like mm-hmm. not seeing, seeing people who are not engineers, doctors, lawyers, or pharmacists. Um, mm-hmm. And that was what was so refreshing about East 303 um, and kind of our mm-hmm. discussion on media itself. Like, I mean, now you can name a lot of famous actors who are East Asian, but probably like five years ago I don't think I'd be that good at it mm-hmm. really interesting because Chloe says that she went to a lot of just like kind of predominantly white mm-hmm. uh, classes or like schools and where's you Caitlin um you've had abundance of Asian people around <laughs> you. so I am from Ottawa um as mentioned previously and um my bracket is I'm Vietnamese like my family is Vietnamese um and at my high school and my elementary school I guess it was very diverse, uh, just kind of a mix of everybody. Mm-hmm. I think white people were the minority at my school. <laughs> um, so I was kind of more shocked to see so many white people at mm-hmm. my school. Um, but uh, despite that, there wasn't a lot of conversation about like race, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for me in high school. So it was really, um, it was really uh, nice, I think, to talk about the Asians, like the struggles of the Asian diaspora and just like being Asian in uh, North America in the context of academia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you guys had like a similar kind of moment. I don't know, some people talk about like confronting their identity, like, you know, you're like, you only realize that you're Asian um, when like, you know, and there's the moment. like for me, it was going to school with predominantly white children and like white kids um, because like I was the Asian one, you know, but then um, if, you know, I'm curious, like if if you are going to school that's mostly diverse, lots of kids, you know, like sometimes the identity, like that's not a, even a question or that's not even like, you know, at the forefront of people's minds um, because like there is just so much diversity. So I'm curious, like if your experiences. Uh, was it like until university where there's like yeah McGill like actually lots of white people that like it was definitely more obvious when I came to McGill um but not only my Asian identity it was also just what what kind of like a the version of Asian I was at (laughs) McGill if that makes sense yeah um because because um there are you know people who are actually from Asia that come to McGill Mm -hmm. to study and then there are the Asian Canadians or like the Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, there's just a lot of, for lack of a better word, like categories, I would say. Like it's very, um, mm-hmm. that, um, I don't know, like that, I, for example, um, 
you know, you know those terms where it's like you feel too white for your like Asian friends, you feel too Asian. Yeah, for your white friends. yeah, um, yeah. I felt that sometimes <laughs> on campus, which and I've never felt that like at my high school mm. for sure. In between her is what Kaylin um, mm. said in the chat, but um, yeah, I don't know if you could relate. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I guess I would relate to that. I'm trying to think. I, I think like sometimes you have little moments in your life where you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a little different from uh, everybody here. And, and I don't mean like you're special. I just mean like you're just, you're just born a little bit differently. Like, um, I think uh, there was a few moments at McGill, and obviously before that, but at McGill that I remember where someone invited me to a party and it said, um, I'll give this as an example actually, it said B Y O B, and I think and that means like bring your own booze. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I think as someone who grew up in Asian culture, that's bring booze for everybody, bring something for everybody, because that's a potluck thing. Yeah. And then I brought enough stuff for everybody. For everybody. Like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Everybody. I did that too. I, my own right? yeah. I, remember, I remember bringing like a giant bottle of sangria, and I even brought a bag of chips to this rager party. And they can be like, what is this? And I was like, it's for all of you. It's to share. Like you can't show up to a party empty handed. That was like rule number one. You know, if you're going to someone's house, you've got to bring a gift. Exactly. It doesn't matter if it's a frat house. Like yeah. House. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You're like bringing oranges and hand yes. and green. And you're like, it's, it's happy lunar year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I'm saying that like, despite like how diverse like my high school was, um, I will I will say that at university more people were actually interested in my background like in terms of mm. appreciation and mm. wanting to know more mm -hmm. um, and I wonder I, and I don't know if that attributes to just like you know everyone is just growing grown up and is, um, yeah. is more interested in these kind of things or if it was just my high school and everyone because everyone was already diverse and different they didn't really mm -hmm. <laughs> have much conversation about that yeah and sometimes like the moment in time too right like feel like identity topic has it, it's been like a hot topic for like a while now but still like recent like and if we were in high school or like mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. just weren't really aware of those kinds of questions or or like you were you're feeling them but you don't know how to express them or like mm -hmm. you don't know like how to talk about them yet yeah yeah like I didn't know what racial microaggressions were in high school <laughs> yeah yeah you like you don't have the vocabulary for it you you don't know how to identify like oh that person is uh microaggressing me actually mm -hmm. um yeah it's definitely yeah. an interesting topic I think in in terms of dating too as other mm -hmm. you know as an Asian person um yeah. I have to ask you Chloe have you do you watch um Ali Wong's um, yes I love them yeah she made this really funny comment she said you know you go to any major North American city and it's just a Yoko Ono factory <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like, yeah she always opens her shows or something saying like oh welcome asian ladies with their white boyfriends and like you know asian men with their white girlfriends welcome <laughs> yeah and that I became always... more and more true I think as a obviously just because I got older and I think when you're a young teenager you don't really think about things like that mm -hmm. but once I got to Miguel I was like wow, this, this is definitely Yoko Ono factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, like, I, I don't really know why or I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't want to blame anybody. I'd like either. to think it's love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rosaline. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's no one person singular, like, no, Asian people can only date white people. <laughs> exactly. What, another line I love from the Ali Wong special is, um, oh, <laughs> it gets a little explicit, you know, at times, but she's like, she has this saying where she, um, like colonize the colonizer. <laughs> yes, I know. Exactly. I was thinking about that while you guys were talking about it. <laughs> and I just, I love it. Just like speaking to her like white boyfriend or whatever, who's like maybe going down on her and she's just like, colonize the colonizer <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, 
you know, maybe it takes like dating a white person sometimes to be confronted with your identity. I mean, I, well, I don't, you know, I would like to think that your differences are more kind of obvious when you're dating someone that's not within your race. And I can imagine that there are issues in terms of like cultural differences. I know Mm -hmm. like you're dating a a German man. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so he's (laughs) German. Okay, so he's German. Were you visiting his family in Germany? Wow, how was that? It was, I mean, it was was very eye-opening, which is something really big for me to say coming from like two cultures of being Canadian and I think Mm -hmm. Asian. Um, and throughout actually East 03, I would, I would tell him every day after class, and then we learned this, read it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Learn <but> about yeah. <laughs> me. <laughs> and, and it was so interesting to talk to, I think, uh, this, is, this is really weird to say, but I might as well say it, to like what the future of those relationships look like, which I think is like you, Chloe, which is the product of two cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have talked to him about it, and I would see so many differences in our families, for example. Um, mm-hmm if he came over here, his parents were much more relaxed about it. They, they had more, you know, pursue your dream type of um, thing. They're more, uh, you know, worry about yourself and, and develop your own life. Whereas I think in Asian culture, you know, the, the societal unit is the family as opposed to, in, to the individual. Right, right. You and so that, that came up But yeah, you better be like serious about it. You know, the family <laughs> <was> line. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was definitely interesting too, because he's like he's a white guy, but he's not a white guy from Canada. So he's mm-hmm. like he's definitely got a stronger cultural connection. And he he's always like, you know, I'm not I'm not white. I don't know why you keep saying that. I'm European. <laughs> Both ironically and unironically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was it was very interesting to to um have those discussions with him. And I still have those discussions mm-hmm. with him actually. He listened to our podcast, the one that Rosalind and I created. Like he actually listened to it recently too. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. And what what was his? Uh, I'm he, curious. <laughs> he, he said um, that he would look into this because he doesn't watch Disney or he didn't really grow up with it. He was like, "I'm gonna look into this sweet life on deck that you <laughs> and, and you know inspect this this Asian representation that you about yourself." And yeah. he was saying, you know, like Keelan, when there are shows in pretty homogenous countries like. Germany like in the 2000s I guess and in Sweden and stuff mm-hmm. we're not looking at you know incorporating a random minority in there just because that's not what most people there look like and I said well it's different when you're in Canada or the U.S. or Australia where there's a big diaspora of mm-hmm. multiple people right right um, so it's definitely a really interesting topic and I think he he really noticed how much more Asian I am quote-unquote <laughs> when, um, when I would every time I went to his family I had I bought something nice to give them he's like what are you doing like you you don't have to spend this money and I thought yeah this is is shame on my ancestors if I don't bring anything yeah exactly it's like okay it's not about you anymore it's not even about your family it's like I have to do this for my family my ancestors or else like you know yeah it's gonna bring shame it'll like bring years of bad luck I don't know what you know (laughs) yeah yeah no, it's interesting. Um, yeah, just like the, the I, I don't want to say culture clashes, but the mixings and like having those experiences and like interactions with significant others who are of other cultures. And but then also those moments of realization of um, that, like inwardly reflecting on your own identity, right? Because you're like confronted with um, another cultural um identity and yeah. experience yeah and and Rosalind and I had this discussion actually about this kind of same tangent and it works with exactly with COVID-19 mm-hmm. where we saw a lot more people who were of Asian descent would be way more likely to wear a mask and just you know follow the rules mm-hmm. uh whereas there are a lot of people from I would say a very typical looking Canadian background <laughs> would be very reluctant. And, and that, that was like, I think the biggest telling of, of how, how that kind of diverged. Yeah. And I'm sure obviously like there are a lot of people who did follow the rules and masked mm-hmm. up and everything, but I did hear like one excuse, for example, someone who didn't really um, care so much about social distancing. They're like, Oh, I don't really care what happens to me, you know, but mm. The whole point of like wearing a mask and social distancing is because you're protecting other people yeah not just yourself yeah exactly. like 
that goes the same with vaccines so if anyone's listening yeah. <laughs> please go get vaccinated yeah yeah that kind of like individual versus collective mentality like that's something I've always at least like I guess my mom has really like talked a lot about like she sometimes you know would complain about how my dad is so is so white let's say or so like individual like just culturally um western cultures tend to prioritize the individual or you know over over a collective whereas like asian culture or chinese culture like the collective is really um is really it's like a lot of paramount yeah Yeah, like a lot of asian culture is rooted in confucianism and that's the yeah base is filial piety and just the family and yeah exactly yeah yeah it's like don't don't think about yourself actually like you're the last one like you know on the list like (laughs) you have all these other people to think about first and then as I think I kind of like talked about this a little bit in my zine like as an Asian Canadian you kind of get really confused and conflicted because Mm -hmm. western society is telling you to think about yourself and pursue your own dreams and then your home and culture might be telling you um, think of others think of your own family before yourself and um, it might be really confusing and frustrating growing up just trying to find a nice balance between the two yeah Um, because at the end of the day at least for me like uh, those two cultures are what makes me me right so yeah yeah I don't know why but I'm like there's almost this like feeling of like think of your unborn children you know it's also especially as women it's like Mm -hmm. you know like you have to think about like the future generations before you even think about like yourself right yeah yeah, which is kind of funny no you're completely right because even like I think on the on a micro level that's how you feel like dating as as a young Asian woman Mm -hmm. and then on a a macro level you see um policies like the one child policy in China and Mm -hmm. that's almost like identical to that exact sentiment like think about your unborn children and and how that will affect the whole the whole collective and it becomes just just so much of a burden to bear as you know just this just this young kid living and trying to have a normal life and trying to um, go to school yeah exactly and and Rosalind showed me this movie um I think we talked about it you've probably seen it um the the farewell with Aquafina oh yes yeah that touches on it really well I think that that really summarizes the whole individual versus collective mindset Mm -hmm. yeah like do you tell your grandparent who's elderly and you know has dementia or Alzheimer's like that they're sick or not you know like and then yeah no that was a really interesting film just to like wrestle with that like because I don't know for me too like the the like white and Asian side are like conflicting you know it's like do you tell them do you not tell them like for the good of the the themselves or like will it just bring more sadness and pain you know yeah oh and um yeah going back to like just the pandemic too um and like the collective and I don't know your communities too I'm like maybe we can talk a little bit about like how you guys experienced the anti-Asian racism or like what your experience with that was because it was happening also during the time of that class and um I I don't know I don't like um you know there there there's some people who were really like strongly affected and and then but there was this like I don't know underlying general sentiment of like stress as well especially as Asian women and um and just women of color and then um I think I thankfully have not experienced it directly to me but uh so my mom works in a very like forward-facing kind of customer service kind of job Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um during the pandemic she's had to deal with a lot of racist people okay Mm -hmm. just like slurs at her or like telling Mm -hmm. her to like go back home or if simply because she's asking them to like put on a mask you know yeah I'm sure they think that like oh this whole thing is probably like your people's fault you know like right. the China virus or whatever yeah. Yeah. um so that's not fun to uh hear but also you know 
when I heard about it, I wasn't entirely surprised um, because it's not like uh, this, it's not like people just started becoming racist during the pandemic. Yeah. It was right yeah it's nothing new either yeah and these kinds of these sayings like like go back home and these kinds of things they've been underlying for a, a long long time right and um I think even just like I was participating in this other this Chinatown workshop and um just going through the history of like the actual like exclusionary acts towards Asian people like if the the if it, for immigration like it's been a lot like this like anti-Asian sentiment was literally written into laws um early on in Canada like uh for for Asian people like Asian people couldn't become citizens or couldn't like couldn't vote couldn't bring their families all of these things right Um, so yeah it's definitely not new yeah you're definitely right about that and I think it's really interesting, like coming from Vancouver too, because I mean, there's that that's where the railway in BC was, had all this history. I actually wrote a paper about this at the time that I was taking East 303 too. And there was all these exclusive exclusionary acts, um, you know, and it was, they were very like, they're very inhumane, of course. And then now, um, however many years later, or even a century mm-hmm. later, you see again this resurgence of Asians coming to the West Coast, but this time these are people who are actually buying property there. Right. And it's it's kind of this, I guess, like script that's been flipped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the discussion becomes, you know, do we do we ban people from the foreigners yeah. from buying houses here? Um, right. And is that is that racially motivated? Is that not? And then mm-hmm. I think that also. Uh, comes into play with the I'm sure you guys saw this on social media last year there was the this, these white ladies who um, had a mahjong set <laughs> oh my uh, god company. yes oh my yeah. god they're just saying you know how uh, how that's how it's gonna be more palatable to the western um, mind yeah basically like the, the mahjong set yeah had like as opposed to the traditional um, artwork and and like Calligraphy. beautiful art calligraphy and and like symbols and picture you know um they changed it to like what like fruits and cherries so that it's more like aesthetic or I think even in their description they said something like we wanted to make it new and fresh and like um we love the game uh, mahjong but we just didn't like the tiles they felt old they felt like and that's just like such a slap in the How face without the the original but i wonder yeah i think it's like just like color coordinated as opposed to like different symbols i don't know but um yeah so ignorant and yeah so it's just like i think i saw like a very similar one i think someone was trying to like westernize kanji yes literally just rice and water you know (laughs) what is that oatmeal then that's not gonna be good yeah and I I think the most ironic thing about it is that mahjong used to be quite outlawed and it was considered you know a form of gambling so so outlawing mahjong was basically Mm -hmm. in extension outlawing Asians from existing or Mm -hmm. having fun and I think the same kind of goes with kanji too where they're like oh look at this gross like disgusting msg Mm -hmm. porridge Whereas, you know, we look at your Quaker oats and we're like, is that any, any more special guys? Yeah. 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 And it just like making it more palatable for the West, you know, and, and um, yeah, but yeah, going back to also Rosalie and what you were saying, like, especially with the pandemic too, and, and Caitlin, what you were saying about like the masks and how like in Asia people have been wearing masks for years right and just suddenly now that becomes like a targeted like racialized um like object here like especially because of the pandemic um like people get so like aggressive and violent about like not wanting to wear a mask you know like the only oppression they've ever faced yeah (laughs) right like come on if like having to wear a mask is like the most depressed you've been I'm sorry um you're living a good life (laughs) yeah yeah definitely Um, I remember I think it was a month before the pandemic was declared but there were still COVID cases rising um my, my partner and I we were in maybe like 
the countryside of Italy or just outside a city as a suburb. Mm -hmm. And we're walking and there are these, I guess, like three Italian young teenage boys. They're kind of snickering. And I, I really didn't notice anything. I didn't think much, but I was wearing a mask at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I really didn't think much of it. And then as we were walking later, uh, my partner pointed out to me, he said, hey, I don't want it to upset you or anything, but I hope you know that like those kids were snickering at you because they think that you're a disease. And, and, and I thought about it. I was like, you're right. They were, they were like getting very far away mm. from us, but it wasn't just, it wasn't him. It was only me. And okay. I didn't realize that I actually have to start thinking about things like that now. And I thought, but I'm wearing a mask. And he said, it doesn't matter. They can see your eyes. They can see your hair color. It's not, it's not hard mm. to identify these things. And it's not hard if you're looking for those things to alienate. And I, mm. it really took me aback because that was the first time I realized I have to worry about being Asian. <laughs> Yeah. And you're the one who's being safe. Like, exactly. were they wearing masks? No. Like, you're the one follow, you know, like, protecting yourself and them. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, those situations that are just still so, like, they're, I don't, I feel like they're not going to get any less frustrating, but, or infuriating. They've been here, they've been around for a long time. And like, unfortunately, like, I, I feel like they're not gonna go away. You know, they're not just gonna disappear like that, right? Yeah, I think the majority of, of populations, they were okay with, you know, a, a sense of Orientalism that was around mm -hmm. because we kept our head down. We were, you know, doctors, engineers, mm -hmm. lawyers, all these things. And then, and then Abi oh, brought a disease over and they're like, well, we can't accept this. Um, mm -hmm. This, this blatant offense on our mm. land in, in North America or whatever. Mm. So let's finally treat them like how they deserve to be treated, like aliens. Um, also, I, I, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. I also feel like um, part of me feels like they're almost waiting for this kind of opportunity to show to... their disdain towards our community because mm -hmm. of you know, the whole like model minority myth. They spent yeah. so long using Asians as a prop against other uh, minorities yeah. like like yeah. oh like um they came here and they're successful so obviously there's something wrong right like no but that's yeah. obviously not the case um and I think that uh, once now they can finally weaponize um this disease against us and yeah. they definitely have that chance <laughs> yeah just like finding another opportunity to just um like allow racism to like explode and and thrive you know um uh, and lash out but um we are not silently raging right <laughs> and i think that's i think that's what at least the like hopeful positive side of like um this pandemic and like the anti-asian racism like protests and seeing so much support and like conversations about it and I think that's why like the East Asian 303 class was such a amazing space to be able to talk about this kind of stuff and and come to these realizations that oh yes these this like racist sentiment has always been here it's not new and it's not just because of the pandemic right like and, and kind of coming to, to grips with that and realizing like, actually like many of us have experienced a lot of microaggressions throughout our whole lives, you know, um, if not us personally, like, yeah, family members. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I hadn't really acknowledged that like this podcast and the title Raging Asians, like, you know, it, it definitely came out of that feeling of frustration and like mm -hmm. because so many of like friends and family in my community who are Asian like I never saw them as the like silent minority you know like like we have things to say lots of lots of things to say right and so just kind of like pushing back and pushing against that um yeah when there isn't the space for that always um, for like Asian voices to come through and talk about how angry and raged and infuriated and upset, you know, they are. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do wonder if that was just kind of us collectively still, you know, uh, bowing our head down and thinking, you know what, they haven't, uh, have you seen Hassan Minaj's uh, stand-up comedy as well? Either of you guys? Uh, no. I haven't. Uh, not the Patriot Act, but I think I can't remember what it was called. Hmm? His stand-up? Yeah, his stand-up. Like, okay. maybe it was called Homecoming, something like that. Mm-hmm. But he just talked about how every minority has to pay this minority tax or something like that. So for so for brown people, for example, they will be called, you know, terrorists. Right. And maybe something like that. But then he's but then his his dad would say, okay, we we get we have to be called terrorists or whatever. We get we get turned away at some restaurants, whatever. And then and then um his dad says to him, but at least we're not persecuted by the police incessantly. And we should just, you know, we should just be grateful that that is our tax and that's the extent mm-hmm. of it. And I think maybe the same kind of goes with East Asians where we thought, you know, our, our tax is people think we're bad drivers mm-hmm. and people are always, you know, p- uh, pulling their, their eyelids a bit longer um, that then we can be okay with that. But mm-hmm. then this time we were like, you know, we're getting spat on our, uh, mm-hmm. our, the drivers are just being abused and like, mm-hmm. you know, regular old looking senior people are just yeah. getting beaten up on the street for no reason. Like, that's when I think Asians started thinking, okay, you know what, I might be a lawyer, doctor, pharmacist, whatever engineer by day. But um, I think it's actually finally time to say, you know, no, this is not, this is not allowed. I'm, I'm not, still, yeah. I still have a Canadian passport. I, I'm still, mm-hmm. I still live here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. And I think that um, going off like the, why he's, anti-Asian um like the whole all the support towards that movement um going uh was so prominent was because of um how because we as a community just saw how black folks and indigenous folks um were treated in both Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. and um I'm not, <laughs> and um I like Caitlin's saying, like before we were kind of like, this is a good tax kind of to have because there are other communities that definitely, definitely have it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was kind of one of the first times that people in our community kind of had an eye-opening experience and was able to uh, finally see the inequalities uh, by our society and sometimes our government. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that just really helped the conversation for all like minorities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we're not, you know, we've been dealing with all of these microaggressions for years. We're not going to like tolerate like abuse and like elder abuse, you know, like it just, yeah, it reached a tipping point where it was just like, no. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's not to say, like you guys were saying too, um, like some people, and it, it, it becomes tricky, like um, to claim space for like, you know, uh, Asian safe spaces is not to, to take space away from other movements as well, like um, solidarity with black communities indigenous communities and allyships you know so it it was great to see these kinds of um these solidarity like these movements coming uh in solidarity with one another like they're not isolated um issues either like this speaks to the larger racist society that we live in in uh america right america canada like North yeah, America. I yeah. and I think that's what was so meaningful about East 303 too is that it wasn't yeah it was it was titled a certain course but it was mm-hmm. not it was titled unsettling Asian Asian migrations but it was not mm-hmm. only about Asians like there were plenty of days where we talked about um, indigenous issues mm-hmm. um, Black Lives Matter yeah um, or even just you know little things like like what it means to be mixed race or things like that, which, mm-hmm. you know, which is never really discussed, I think in an yeah. academic setting. And we had so many different guest speakers who talked about why this is at all parallel with um, ethnic mm-hmm. studies and East Asian studies. Yeah, yeah. No, the nuances of it, you know, you're not necessarily like you might, um, you know, there's African communities, but that like you can't lump some African experiences with, um, 
African-American experiences and mm. as just like one black experience, right? Like you have to, and the same goes for the Asian experience too, like realizing that and unsettling that category of Asian um, was really, yeah. yeah. We also talked a lot about the intersectionality of like racial experiences as well, which I thought was really meaningful. Like mm-hmm. my Asian Canadian experience is definitely completely different from someone who's also Asian Canadian, but also part of the LGBTQ plus community, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I thought that was really, really yeah. that we talked about that. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also like the, um, like Asian American versus um, like- Born in like China. Born and raised in China or Vietnam or um, the Philippines. Yeah. like that is a different cultural context um, that like is conducive to a whole other set of um, Mm -hmm. issues and identity questions and and uh, has its own like there was a there was a discussion board uh post about this I remember this so vividly from Easter 3 because Mm -hmm. I I still think about it to this day and I (laughs) I can't remember who posted this I think it was maybe a law student who was in our class and Mm -hmm. he is She's, she's white, actually, I think. And her boyfriend is Asian. Um, right. I think he's, Hong, he's from Hong Kong, maybe. And her and her mo- her mother-in-law or her boyfriend's mom mm-hmm. um, encouraged her to wear this beautiful Chinese traditional dress. And uh, she said, you know, is this, is this cultural appropriation? And the mom was like, what the hell is that? You know, because I think... <laughs> I think if you're born in, in yeah. India and you and you and you see all this stuff and you see random right. foreigners wear it, you think, oh, cool! Like my my culture is cool, and other people want to not only yeah. appreciate it, but they want to you know fund it and mm-hmm. they want it authentic. But yeah. meanwhile, here, you know, that's a totally different topic. That's mm-hmm. like you know, that's cultural creation. That's that's completely like, offensive. But there, they're like, what? How do you explain that to yeah. an East Asian lady <laughs> who grew up there? On street markets in yeah. Asia, for example, like vendors right. will encourage foreigners to buy. Yeah like the clothing that's how uh, they make money right and that's how yeah that's their livelihood yeah if you tell them I don't want to offend you or your culture they will definitely tell you no no no. you look beautiful in it yeah they'll Please look at you funny it. right yeah exactly but um, then I feel bad for you know the, the white folks or non-Asian folks who are wearing these things and then they get they kind of get reamed out by the public and they're like oh, that's offensive and then right. as as the person wearing it you kind of you have to say like oh no it's okay my my mother-in-law <laughs> said it, it works so I got permission <laughs> yeah right I yeah the, the difference between appropriation and appreciation is definitely mm. more um mm. like uh prominent yeah and I think it's it's tough because maybe less so in China but like in or China or like East Asia the the like I guess the context in which like it the garments are worn it's not like in North America where there's like Halloween and some people dress up as like you know a Chinese person for Halloween and you're like oh my god like that is that is terrible that's Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. offensive um as opposed to like it being gifted or yeah yeah yeah, right um so I think yeah the context definitely matters but yeah it's a difficult thing nonetheless to like explain or try to like unpack (laughs) because then because then who's in the wrong there right like is it the Mm. the foreign born like the CBC the Canadian born Chinese person or Mm -hmm. the person who's from China and you're trying to just uh reconcile the differences of what Mm. is offensive and what's not it's like uh, well this is a Chinese wedding so I would like you to dress like everybody else who's a guest that is mm-hmm. Chinese traditional clothing right. but then that person is thinking well I shouldn't steal your culture and you know make mm-hmm. myself look right it's always, it's always a fascinating topic that mm. I think never has like a right or wrong answer yeah it's, it's contextual because yeah if the if like the white person shows up then not wearing the traditional garment, but everybody else is, then there's they're they're still out of sorts. That's they're like almost insulting, right? Yeah. That's even worse. Yeah. Like they it's like, no, actually I don't want to wear, you know, the traditional garment. It's like disrespectful too. So it- <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's what's really incompatible with with modern cancel culture and talking about mm. um, ethnic studies is that the the 
the public opinion has um, obviously a, a dogma of what's correct and then um, mm -hmm. what is actually what is the truth and what is actually founded in research and academia of talking about ethics studies is probably yeah. much more nuanced. Yeah. Uh, well, we've like covered so much. I think we're at uh, an hour <laughs> and a half roughly, but this has been so much fun. Thank you guys so much for being on my podcast and um, inviting us. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was so great to chat and catch up again um, and to hear more about you guys and how you've been doing and just, yeah. Yeah, it's so great that you started this podcast. Like, it's very, huh. very cool. And I will definitely be listening to more episodes. Oh, uh, well, I want you guys to continue your podcast. That would be so fun. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're already like, like getting secondhand embarrassment from our <laughs> podcast I think I don't think it will ever see the light of day no. <laughs> no. Oh. but this podcast oh. has always been fun and I remember like the first episode I listened to it was like you and your mom right mm -hmm. at first that was so yeah. cool your mom was also from Vancouver right or yeah um, she yeah. she immigrated from Hong Kong to Vancouver so that yeah was, she like, relatable yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, well, thank you guys so much. I'm going to stop.